five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome, everyone, to episode 75 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leafs fan. Joining me, as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how's things? Couldn't be better, Mike. Got my hair cut. Feeling better, feeling lighter. I can't wait till the next Easter Seals tournament. I'll be flying. <laughs> Jesus, it's all. Well, thanks for sharing that with us, okay? So, well, you got to catch up to me. You get, I'm, I've been putting some lights in too. So, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to do a little comparative summer down the road because I see the uh, alumni schedules out and you're going to be playing a few games in the next few months. Yeah. Well, I, I knocked a few water bottles off the last tournament, Easter Seals tournament in uh, Kitchener. So, so things are going pretty good. Well, we'll see how it goes. Well, our guest today is someone our listeners will be very familiar with, especially those who tune into Sportsnet nightly, and they better. Wanted to be a sportscaster from an early age, a man after my own heart with a massive hockey card collection. Mm-hmm. He's an author, an all-around nice guy. Please welcome to the Squid Nut Leaf Ben Show, Ken Reed. Kenny, first off, thanks for joining us. How you no, keeping? And you. secondly, discover any finds at the hockey show a couple weeks ago besides my book. Yeah, I, I bought your book. Well, thanks for having me. Rick asked me a couple nights ago at, at one of the Easter Seals uh, parties for, for hockey to join. I'm honored to be on with you guys. Um, the, yeah, I, uh, I found a nice old 1936, I want to say, worldwide gum card of a guy with some Nova Scotia connections. Uh, it was beat to crap, but I don't care about that. I just like to have the neat stuff, and the dealer actually gave it to me for free. He didn't even charge me. And I found a nice little old... Uh, I don't know what it would be, Cooper SK something helmet. You know, the old, it's kind of the yeah. Butch Goring model. It's not exactly the Butch, but the kind we all wore. So I got yeah. that. My son gets a kick out of that. So I always buy stuff that, that um, I don't know, Mike, you're, you got the greatest collection of all time. But for me, collecting is all about the story. So I buy something that'll, that'll start a story. And Rick, when we get together for our Easter Seals tournaments, we do our hot stoves. You and I have done so many hot stoves together. Rarely do we talk about goals. We always just talk about the room or something <laughs> stupid that happened on the bench or something that happened on the road. So, so to me, the game's all about the stories and, and what happens on the ice is beautiful, but but it opens it up to, to great storytelling. Uh, most of those stories are about growth. I was going to say, <laughs> when, when, we're, uh, when we're up there, well, I got nothing. You got a fellow Nova Scotian and yeah. you got a Nova Scotian and a PEIer here. Yeah. And you got a guy like who was crazy like growth and, and uh, very charismatic, and he's from Nova Scotia as well. Not too far from where you grew up. Right. He's from Antigonish. In fact, his dad used to work at the train yard in Picto, I discovered when I read his book by Greg Greg Pinkpen. And, yeah, whenever I'm on stage and I got nothing, I'll look over at Rick or Wendell and I'll go, (laughs) Brophy? And and you guys will just take it it from there. It's It's an easy gig. Well, I know at the show, I was at a table most of the weekend, so I didn't get a chance to walk around. But just for folks out there listening, how did you find it mingling amongst people again in a setting like that? Oh, it's beautiful. I absolutely loved it. I miss people. I'm a people person, guys. We're all people. Yeah. People, 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 persons. Uh, and uh, again, it's hockey. People, purple eater. Right, right. Hockey's the bond that brings us all together. And then the the, the BS starts, right? The stories start. So. Oh, it was great. It was great to see so many people I haven't seen in a long time. You know, uh, uh, collectors, dealers, pop back into the autograph venue, go behind the stage, see a couple of guys I haven't seen in a while. So it was great. We're getting we're getting close to back to normal. We got our Easter Seals tournaments on the go. Rick just had his Easter Seals in Kitchener. It was great to see a bunch of the guys from the Kitchener area that I've, I've golfed with in their tournament a few months ago and, and played with before that. And it, we're, we're getting back there. And uh, it's it's good. Well, let's go back. Let's. Uh, you're from Pictou, Nova Scotia, and like any Canadian, grew up loving hockey. Yeah. But you had a different focus to be involved in the game rather than play. Maybe walk us through that. Yeah, I mean, when I was a kid, uh, one of my earliest memories is Hockey Night in Canada. Rick, you were probably playing in the game. Wayne got the penalty shot on Bunny LaRock. <laughs> Wayne went to the forehand on the deke, and, and Bunny stopped him. And 
Man, when I was, I think that was 1982, I want to say. And, and when I was yeah, in 1982, I would have been, been playing. You'd have been sniping. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm worshiping guys like Wayne Gretzky. I'm watching a guy from PEI, Rick Five, scoring 50 for the Leafs. And my plan was to score 50 for the Canadians. And then uh, DNA and athletic ability kind of interfered with that. <laughs> and I, I was about eight or nine, and I didn't make the novice one team in Picto. And I thought, geez, if I can't make the best team in Picto, I'm probably not going to make the NHL. Because, you know, I, I knew about the bottleneck at that age. Yeah. And I was bummed, and I remember talking to my dad, I'm not going to play in the NHL, what am I going to do? Because that was my career plan to that point. And he said, well, the guys who talk about the games, they get in for free. So being the good Scotsman that I am, right, finding a free way into a game, I was up for that. So I set my heart on being media. So from the time I was eight, uh, I loved the guys on the ice, and I loved the guys who called the game just as much, Bob Cole, uh, Dick Irvin, Danny Galvin. Then I find out that Danny Galvin's from Sydney, and I'm going, well, geez, he got all the way there. Maybe, maybe I can talk about it. And when I was a kid, I thought, I'd love to work in Montreal one day, and I'd love to work in Edmonton one day. I ended up working in Edmonton. I worked a game or two in Montreal. And it was just um, it was just um, it was just through a love of the game. The hockey was the main catalyst and I I wanted to be part of it. And I, I've squeaked my way in where I got I know guys like you, Mike. I know guys like Rick. I know the guys whose cards I collected, I consider them friends now, which is strange. But but cool. After a while it just becomes normal, you know, and it's it's great. And I love the game and um it's just it can get back to you in so many ways. You don't have to be good, Rick, as you know, to to, to enjoy the game. You see me on the ice, Rick. The, the, the ankles aren't that strong. <laughs> well, well, from a guy from Pictou, I can understand, you yeah. know, that they wouldn't be that strong. But right. you know, if you're from PEI, it's a little bit different. But. Right. You guys had Skinner's Pond. We just had Choppy Harbors to skate on, right? Rick, Al Afraidy, he always calls me, whenever I play with him in an Easter Seals, he calls me the Luke Robitaille of Easter Seals hockey. He says, you can't skate, but you got a nose for the net, so I'll take that. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. Yeah, he, he, well, yeah, he, he got a ring and he got a, uh, a couple he's rings. He's in the hall. He's in the hall. He got he's a ring. In the hall. Yeah. yeah. Now, talk about how you said it to get out in front of a camera. I mean, there must have been a long journey. You just didn't end up at Sportsnet's front yeah. door ringing the bell, or maybe you did. No, no. I, uh, yeah, I, learn by doing right so i went to college i was on the college radio station i went to my first gig was doing volunteer in the maritime junior a hockey league for the dartmouth and exports who, who played in halifax a lot you'd know jim bottomley rick jimbo over there in halifax yep. i was jimbo's play-by-play -play guy and they'd play forbes kennedy and they'd play gerard gallant gerard was coaching summerside that year they won the world bank cup in 97 and forbes was behind the bench for the abbeys turk was behind the bench for the Western Capitals. You know, yeah. It's funny you mention that because I remember that because my two cousins were playing for the Summerside Capitals who won it. No kidding. And 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 our former yeah. billet, the kid who played with my brother the whole way up, Harlan Hayes, was the goalie. So there you go. Oh, okay. So, See, it all it all comes together. Maritimes is a small yeah. place, Mike. You gotta right. understand right. that, okay? <laughs> Before this is over, Rick and I are gonna find out we're related. I guarantee you. <laughs> <laughs> guarantee you. <laughs> Well, now, Kenny, give the listeners a couple of examples of the jobs you would do in the early days. And, oh, yeah. You know, the startup stuff you did and some of the crazy hours. Oh, God. So when I was at Channel 10, I was the play-by-play -play guy for the Olin Export. So we got paid in pizza to like you know, Jimmy Flynn. Everybody <laughs> sounds good. So we got paid. And then they started a community news program in January 97. And I was hired. It was 32 hours a week, eight bucks an hour. And, you know, Rick, come on, eight dollars an hour. Jesus Christ, what a job. Where are you working at, boy, you know? <laughs> That's big time. Eight dollars an hour. So they gave me eight bucks an hour. I did that for two and a half years. And then I thought, you know, a man's got to eat. I was trying to get on ATV and MITV and they wouldn't give me a sniff at the time of day. So my mom was working in Calgary. Sweet Marie, shout out. She was uh, living in Calgary with her husband and I moved into mom's house. You know, like any successful 24 year old would do. I moved into my mother's basement, went out west looking for work. Not the first to do that. Got hired at a station called A Channel Calgary as a morning news writer from 4 a.m. to 9 a.m. So I wrote the news for the for the big breakfast show. Uh, was, I guess, good enough after doing that for three months to get promoted to full-time news writer. Sports gig opened up. I told the news director I was at the urinal. He was at the urinal beside me. I said, I want that gig. Uh, two weeks later, he said, you didn't get it, but you can be a one-man band, you know, reporter with your own camera. So I did that for eight months. 
Another sports job opened up and said, I want that gig. He said, you got it. Then I was off. So I'm 26 years old covering the Calgary Flames. There's this 23-year-old guy named Jerome McGinley skating around who was just a total first-class gentleman from the moment I ever first interacted with him. And so I did Calgary for three, four years, worked my way up to 11 o'clock sportscaster weeknights, which was a great gig. I'd go to the Flames games, come back to the news, go across the street to Cowboys, rent, wash, rinse, repeat. <laughs> Uh, then I went from Calgary to Ottawa. So I every, 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 boy, every, every young boy's dream, every twenty-something's uh, dream, yeah. is to be able to go to Calgary and go to the the hockey game, yep. do your job for for a couple hours, and then go to Cowboys. And they treated the media well out there, man. My brother and I used to call it Adult Disney World. So there was, some, uh, yeah, I've been there. Yeah, it was good times. So then after Calgary, it was two years in Ottawa. Then three years in Edmonton, and then I came to Toronto at the end of 2008 with my then fiance with no job. I quit to follow her. We're still married, so it worked. And uh, <laughs> and I got on it at CP24 and kind of field producing for TSN, being the guy who goes out and do the interviews. And then one day TSN called they, on the way to the Leafs practice and said they got you got a tie. I said no, but I can get one. So we stopped in Sears on the way, and I. Next, I was on TSN that night, and I freelanced for them for about a year and a half, and then I got the gig at Sportsnet. I want to say almost eleven years ago. So I've been annoying Ivanka ever since for eleven so, years. Now, Kenny, so talk about some of the bars, bizarre so, things you heard. So hold on, in it, your, oh, go ahead, Scred. It, it's pretty safe to say that we could call you suitcase, then, right? I'm the yeah, Gary well, Smith yeah. of TV reporters. Yes, <laughs> I'm the Gary Smith of TV reporters. Suitcase 3D. Yeah, and it's funny, boys, because. Nowadays, the guys don't have to do that. They can start in Toronto, and for back in my day, you mm -hmm. you, you you couldn't you couldn't do that. Yeah, so it's yeah, I'm I'm suitcase for sure. Well, I was going to ask you about some of the bizarre things you saw, heard, or happened to you in your earlier years. You know, like the the power going out, the microphone not working. Oh, uh, yeah. you have to produce all these crazy stuff. Was, I didn't have too many tackle mishaps. I remember like when I was working at Channel Ten, right changing the sign out front you'd have to get up on the ladder and change the letters on those old cheesy signs and it's, it's a storm in Dartmouth, okay. nova scotia and i'm like what am i doing like my dad's a doctor i'm making 14 grand a year what am i doing but i thought you know what if i quit i'm never going to get to where i want to go and those who quit don't don't get there i could do something else but i really wanted to do it so that was tough um being on the air one night doing a halifax mooseheads game as a young kid playoff game so nervous hosting the game you know welcoming everybody to the dartmouth sportsplex calling it the dartmouth sportsplex for the first two periods because that's what i did on autopilot at dartmouth all year and the producer going ken you know you're at the halifax micro center I said, yeah he says well, why do you keep saying dartmouth sportsplex i'm like i'm not so then you like when you're a kid you want to be a sports anchor and you don't realize the best way to do it is to be yourself so i was at the ron burgundy stage right read anything in the teleprompter and stuff yeah. like that so that was uh that was humbling and you know that i i did a naked stampede breakfast story as a as a reporter in calgary where i only had my cowboy hat over my essentials for my stand-up you know you got to immerse yourself in the story so all that was the pay dues for where i'm at now and i think that's why i really really appreciate where i'm at now you know I, rick i guess it's probably like if when you're coming up through junior and maybe guys who have to do some time in the minors when they get to the show you know they go what the this is a charter the food's paid for i get to stay in a five star uh so i learned to appreciate where i'm at and try not to take it for granted yeah well that's good i mean you got to put the work in and you certainly did all the way up and uh and it's true because if you look at most of the guys that are uh doing the games and and the head guys on most of those people started out in small towns in western yeah. canada eastern canada yeah. whatever and had to make several you know probably eight six to eight stops before they ever got to toronto yeah and got that job so yeah. so i think you you're, you hit it the nail right on the head when you say you really come to appreciate what you have when you've been through that just like you said a hockey player who's all the way through junior has to play a few years in the minor leagues well how about those guys that played in the east coast league then the american league yep. and then got a shot in the nhl yeah uh young danforth kid who played with my son in cincinnati Scored a goal his first game with Columbus the other night. Beautiful. And, you know, he was in the East Coast League. And yep. here he is scoring a goal in the National League his first game. 
Pretty yep. cool. I'm I'm undrafted. Signed the East Coast League deal, the three-way deal. Uh, it's a two-way deal, AHL East Coast for me. Somehow snuck my way into the show, and I'm still there, you know? Yeah, well, well. so let's talk about that, the early years. Uh, Danny Gallivan, Dick Irvin, and Bob Cole, you've mentioned. Yeah. They were influences on you, obviously. What was it about their work that made them so special? And did you ever get any time to spend with these guys and pick their brain? It was Saturday night, and Saturday night was everything, right? Um, yep. That was the only game on uh, once a week. So when I hear Danny Galvin, I was a little, Danny retired, I think in 84. So, you know, I, I remember him, but Bob was big for me. And Bob was uh, like the fact that Bob Cole knows my name to this day blows my mind. Uh, I've gotten to, you know, to just interact with him a bit since they came over with, uh, with hockey night to us at Sportsnet, and Bob and I play in the Danny Galvin cystic fibrosis golf tournament every year. So it's huge. And, and I mean, I'll sit there and I'll pick Bob's ear and he'll, He'll tell stories. He was holding court one day and there was just a few of us sitting around, players included, like future Hall of Famers. Just four or five of us sitting around at, the, at Danny's golf tournament just having a beer and Bob's holding court and we're just, you know, we're all listening to him. And it, it's it's just awesome. I, I love this book. Like, Bob Cole, he, that's I've been everywhere, man. That's Bob's story. I mean, my God, the guy crashed a plane once. I mean, for God's sakes, in Greenwood, Nova Scotia. Like, the, guy, the guy's literally done it all and to think he lived in Newfoundland and, and flew up to Toronto to those Leafs games all yeah. those years and, and stayed on the rock. Um, so Bob was, Bob was big for me, but, and Dick and Danny, uh, I can remember listening to them and I love Dick Irvin's voice. I know he didn't like it at the start of his career, but I mean, those were, those were my guys. And then, I mean, throughout the week, I would literally at six o'clock at six twenty, I'd start flipping stations. So I'd watch the sports Doug Saunders on CBC Nova Scotia. Then I flipped the compass because we got the PEI station in Picto and I'd watch Scott Scandalberry. Then I'd flip the WLBZ Bangor and watch Dale Duff. Then I'd flip the WVII Bangor and watch Ron Lesnet. Like I can still remember these guys' names. So I was I was just as obsessed with the sportscasters as I was the players once once I hit around nine or ten years old. So they they kind of became part of my my fabric, I guess. Funny you talk about that because like as a player you get to know these guys pretty good too. And, mm -hmm. you know, Bob Cole and, and guys like that. And Bob, Bob knows everybody's name, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I, I gotta tell you, I've seen him walk by so many people and he knew their name. And I'm like, how the hell do you ever remember all that stuff? But you, you got to know all those guys that, that were doing the games because they'd be down there for the pregame skate and they talk to you and so on and so forth. And it, you know what? They were all great people and they were a lot of fun to be around. I remember being on the road sometimes and next thing you knew, you're in the same bar as them too. So yeah. uh, it, it, they, they were no different than we were and no. they, they had fun and, and uh, they loved doing what they did. And so did we. So uh, what I always it loved about, so nice. what I always loved about Bob is I love that. Remember the trooper song three dressed up as a nine. So <laughs> Bob can take a game yeah. that's a four and make it an eight. Like you can, and an eight is just over the top. So Rick, when, when, when you look back on your goals and Bob is doing the play-by-play -play and he's, here comes Vibe. I mean, that's got to be just such a cool thing to look back on. Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, when you think about it and, and, uh, you know, you really get down and you're, you're just, it happens sometimes right before you fall asleep at night and you're, you're laying there and you're thinking about it and you're looking back and you're going, like, wow, I remember I saw a replay of that goal that Bob Bob Cole was calling, and boy, did he ever do an unbelievable job. Yeah. And he made it sound like my goal was the best goal that was ever scored in the National Hockey League. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure he did that with almost every goal. So yeah. when you look back, it's like, wow, like, I was pretty damn lucky, you know. Yeah. That, that, so, Kenny, when you finally sat in a chair, the light's on, the red light about to go up live, was it everything you imagined after all the work you put in and funny? I'm talking when you're in the big chair. Yeah. Yeah. When I did my first show at a network level, I was like, yep. You know what? I was nervous going in and I thought, you know what? I've done friggin' highlights my whole life. This is just a longer highlight show. And the first time I did hockey night in Canada, I've only done it a, maybe a couple of times, but the first time I did it was in Montreal and I was really nervous. Like I was kind of overprepared going in up to that week. And I thought, you know what? I used to do, eight live hits a night on CP24. I'm doing four live hits for this game. Just, it's fine. But it, it just happens to be on Hockey Night in Canada. So they go, okay, the first thing you're going to do is uh, we're going to start the broadcast and you're going to go on the bench. 
the Canadians are going to come out and then Kirk Muller is going to come to the bench and do an interview. And I'm like, okay, well, I know Kirk. That's good. I hadn't seen him yet that day because I don't know why I didn't see him, but I just hadn't. And so I go out on the bench. The lights go out in the Bell Center and the music starts and the Montreal Canadiens are all running by me. And I'm kind of going, what in the name of all the totally am I doing here? Like, what's going on? And then so I'm like, all right, get your shit together, man. It's going to be fine. And Kirk comes out. He's got his. He's doing his coaches walk up and he looks up. He's like, Reader, what are you doing here? I'm like, hey, Kirk, how are you, buddy? So that, then I was like, I needed that. So I needed that from Kirk. I was like, okay, we're good to go. We're good to go. And then the game was on and that was fine. And the other, here's the other part about that. And it just shows you what viewers don't understand at home. So my dad's watching the game and I'm doing my intro and, you know, I got my light up, my lights on me and, you know, the bell center's in the background and I'm doing my talk and all of a sudden the lights go down and it's black behind me and blah, 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 blah. And Ron, back to you. So I called dad afterwards. I'm like, Jesus, dad, that was, I can't believe I, I got on Hockey Night Canada. Like if I never do it again, that's enough. Like it's this, this, this brand means so much to me. It was like, that's like my Mount Rushmore. Dad goes, I thought you did a great job, but why in the hell did you turn the lights off at the start of the game? I'm like, Dad, I don't control the goddamn lighting grid at the Bell Center. He literally thought that was me. And I'm like, but that goes to show you when you're on TV, no matter what happens, the face gets blamed for it. And I'm yeah. like, like, my dad is a medical doctor. He's a somewhat intelligent man. And he thought that it was somehow my fault that the lights went off. I'm like, Dad, it's the kind of the pregame ceremony they do. So, yeah, when I got... When I got when I did my first mm -hmm. hockey night, Mike, that was like, you know what? And then yeah. the game's over, and the producer's like, "Kenny, I got to talk to you." And I'm like, "Oh Jesus, what I do?" Like, so Kim, you, what you do now? I, I watch it a lot at night with you and Ivanka, especially yeah. when you guys are on there at uh, I don't yeah. know what time it comes on about ten, ten thirty, yeah. right after the, the hockey game. game. Now, in that situation, obviously, there's things that you do need to talk to. But I, watching it, I know that you're at living a lot. You're, you're going by the script, but you're kind of not, too. Yep. Am I correct? You're absolutely correct. It's like when we do our, our uh, Easter Seals events. They give me a script, but it's the, the kind of the script is merely a guide. So whenever we pop mm -hmm. up on camera like this, we're, we're ad lib. And, hey, what about that game with the Leafs tonight? You know, Jack Campbell made all those saves. That's totally ad lib. The scripts are made for us by guys on the highlight roll, but we're, we're you know me, I'm, I'm ad-libbing a fair amount of that stuff as well. When I start talking about <laughs> Danger Bay and Kiss and Trooper, that's not usually in the script. So <laughs> that's what makes it fun, though, is they give us that poetic license to just be a donkey. So, so maybe walk the listeners through, Kenny. Walk the listeners through how you prepare for show every day. So kind of like it's – so I'm lucky, right? So I, I do what I love. So I'm going to – so I have to be informed. So I got to pay attention to what's going on in the sports world. So that's pretty easy because I'm going to anyway. Right. So yep. it's always kind of going, you're checking your websites and reading your newspapers. So then typically if I'm on after say a Leafs game, so tonight we're on after a game, we'll pop up around 10 o'clock. So go in, we get to do a COVID test every night when we go in these days. So I do my COVID test. Then at quarter to seven, I go to wardrobe, switch into my zoot suit, uh, sit down and make up for 10 minutes, go down at seven o'clock, head right to the studio. We used to have desks. Now we head to the studio because you got to kind of stay in your own place because of the vid. Hold on, reader. Did you say makeup just for a few minutes? Yeah, it doesn't take long, Rick. It doesn't take long. Like cover up my pale skin well, I, and I, a little color. You know? <laughs> yeah, I just thought you might have been in there a little bit longer. That's yeah. <laughs> they, they make my hair look presentable. You yeah. know? Um, yeah, so four hours of makeup. And then down to the studio, our lineups are already been made by the producer who works much harder than the on-air people. We, I go in and I turn the games on. So we got a few monitors. I'll watch the games. I go in. I see the lineup of the show. It'll say, okay, tonight we're leading with, uh, all right, the, the Montreal game, then the Toronto game. Then we're going to throw it around the guys. So then I write in what I have to write in in my on cameras. And I read what's going to go on in the show. And then I just kind of, take everything in. I'll watch the game. So if something happens, I can yeah. make an ad lib on it. So I am informed. And like last night I, I went in I, at eight 30, I had to do a pre-recording with Kyle Brandt from NFL network. Who's an awesome dude. So we did that at eight 30. Then at nine, I had to do one with Arden Zwelling on the Jays. And while all that's going on, I'm also watching the game. So last week, for example, we were on one channel. Well, at the same time, the soccer game was ending on another channel. 
that wild mm -hmm. finish in the Canada Mexico yeah. game. I got one eye reading the uh, the highlights while the other eye is looking at the soccer game. We pop up two minutes later. We have James Sherman on from Edmonton live at the conclusion of the soccer game. As another channel joins us, we go to break for a minute. I go to the producer. I go, we got to ask him about the end of the game. He goes, no, we're not asking about the end. I'm like, I'm asking about the end. So I asked about the end of the game. Like that last five minutes was wild. Take me through it. So he asked. I thought, yeah. Yeah, we go to break. The producer goes, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were talking about the fights at the end. I'm like, no, no, not the fights. But he was producing our show at the same time. So it's up to us to help each other. And then other nights, he'll be like, talk about this. I'm like, why are we talking about that? Whereas he sees it. So we're, we're all kind of working as a team. And so it, it can be a lot going on, but it's fun. So I don't I don't really mind. It's, you know, it, it's a rush, right? Like I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't want to come in and just read a teleprompter, right? I want to come in and. So Ken, you don't, you don't, you, you approach it like it's not even a job, don't you? Like I mean, it's yeah. kind of like I love doing this. You can hear it. Yeah, it is my, it is how I make my living, but I love it, and I'm going to have yeah. fun doing it. And, yeah. and you know what? It's funny you say that uh, because I don't think there's a hockey player that played the game, especially in my time, that didn't take it the same way. Yeah, it was like, yeah, there was days, there were some days where it was harder than others. And it was, it felt like it was a chore. But for the most part, boy, I'll tell you what, it was, I mean, it was fun. It was fun. That's what we did. We had fun. It should be, man. Rick and Mike, we forget yeah. so often. I And I'll say it on the air sometimes. Sports is supposed to be fun. Yes. My, my eight-year-old isn't out in the back banging balls off the garage door because it's work. He's doing that because it's fun. I think if you're in yeah. the National Hockey League and, and you're not, I'm sure the pressure's crazy at times, but ultimately it yeah. is your job, but it's a fun way to make a living. It's the same as me. I mean, oh. I'm not, I'm not saving lives. Not, no one's relying on me for life-saving news. Sometimes it gets serious and we deal with some serious issues, but most yep. of the time it's fun. And people call me like overly energetic sometimes. And I'm like, that's because I love it. I'm passionate about it. When I, and when I see, <laughs> like when I'm doing the highlights, Rick, when you're watching at 10 o'clock, and I'm doing the highlights to say a Nashville-Anaheim game. I'm seeing those highlights at the same time you're seeing them at home. We call that reading it cold. The script comes out, the highlights go to air, and the games are all ending, so the you know things are going to air. And so I'll see um, Troy Terry last night rip one off the crossbar on UC Saros and not keep his point streak going. It ends at 16 games. I'm like, oh, off the crossbar. That's just my natural reaction. And if my natural reaction is, oh, it's off the crossbar, well, go do something else for a friggin' living, right? You're yeah, not exactly. passionate about it. So I'm passionate about it. And that, obviously, hockey's my number one sport. I mean, I'm not the biggest soccer fan in the world, but if you wrap any sport in the flag, I'm going to be into it. That Mexico-Canada game was great last week. And yeah, I couldn't agree it, more. Yeah, it's easy to get excited about. Well, I was going to say to you, yeah. so let's, let's keep with that fascination. Now, the hockey cards we've touched on. We've touched that you do look for the oddball thing to collect. We have not talked about around. this in the past. There we go. Yeah, so yeah. I, I know about it, but they're we probably all over the show. house. Yeah, they're they're yeah. everywhere. Drives my my wife's linen closets are now hockey card closets. It's not, <laughs> and there's supposed well, to be another giant collection arriving at the house this week. So don't tell her. The estimate is roughly fifty thousand cards has been said. Sure. What? Talk about how it all sort of evolved for you from as a kid to going on. We all know how we all started, but what are the treasures you're still searching for now? Sure. So it evolved like the kind of what I was talking about. You'd only see the game on a Saturday night, right? So yeah. my connection to the NHL was through hockey card sticker books and hockey cards, hockey digest, which I loved. By the way, mm -hmm. there's a letter to the editor in hockey digest. I want to say February 1988 for me, Grant Pierce on the cover. And I'm yelling about how there shouldn't be Southern expansion. So I just thought I'd point that out. And um, so, so when we went to the Picto Mariners Junior C game on Saturday night, or I went skating after school on Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, cards were a quarter at the canteen at Hector Arena Picto. You had gum, you got the cards. I'll never forget getting the Bobby Smith 83 84 now with, now with uh, Montreal after the trade for him and Acton and Napier. And they were a connection to the game. They were history for me. I could turn them over and I could find out about guys. You know, I could turn it over and find out Tom Fergus has two German Shepherds, like in a little cartoon in the corner. And that's how I learned about players. That's how I learned Guy Lafleur was from Thurso, Quebec. Wayne Gretzky was from Brantford, Ontario. How I learned that, you know, Mike Bossy was a perennial 50-goal scorer. Um, how I learned that Rick, for some reason, they airbrushed his hair on his rookie card. Like, you know, you learned all kinds of crazy <laughs> things. And we didn't have the internet. So that was my that was my encyc hockey encyclopedia. Yep. And then, you know, they, they start to be worth money. And you're going, holy smokes, this is weird. I can flip this for this. And. 
and uh yeah it just the beat goes on and i was hoarding cards for for years and i collected them for years they i kind of went away from them when in my teen late teens and 20s when i discovered these things called girls uh, yes. so i was yeah. into that for a while <laughs> <laughs> then i got married and i i mean to me they're little pieces of hockey history so I would love to have a 51, yeah. 52 Parker's Gordy Howe. I don't have that. I got the rocket. That's one card I'd love to have, but don't, I'm sure you guys are very familiar right now. Now is a great time to, to sell. Probably not a great time to buy. So a guy like me, who's more of a knickknack collector, uh, I see the prices on some of this stuff and I'm going, wow, this is crazy. Yeah. What so, do you think? Go on with that. What do you think of this craziness? I think it's awesome. I mean, if people collect, they collect, that's fine. Um, collect is the key word, Mike. I, I think there's a lot of flippers out there. There's a lot of people trying to make yeah. money off it. And when I say a lot, I mean a ton. Um, so it's not, it's not the pure, pure thing it once was, but then again, what is, I mean, hockey's a big business now. Once upon a time, it, it wasn't a big business. I'm going to be here no matter what. So, you know, whether this craziness continues or it doesn't continue, I'm going to be part of it. But to see the amount of money that was changing hands at the expo a couple weeks ago, when, when they announced that the ATM has run out of cash a couple times, you know, that's, that's pretty big. And I see stuff like a card I got for like 300 bucks six years ago going for a $10,000 asking price. I'm like, what? You know, like everybody else, why didn't I buy 50 of them? But that's, you know, that's the way it goes. No, but I think, why, you know, go ahead. Why, is, why is everything going up so much right now? Oh, great question. Is there a particular reason for that? Well, Mike, I thought we were done when COVID came. I thought my cards were going to be deemed worthless. Who needs cardboard? I think it was a combination of there was nothing for people to do. They had right. needed something to spend their discretionary income on. You couldn't go to a game. So how could you still connect through the game, through a card? Mm -hmm. A lot of people to kill time probably went rooting through their closets. And, oh, my old cards. Maybe they whipped through them and they got the bug mm -hmm. again. Uh, the grading process is crazy. Maybe there's people, I don't know, hiding Bitcoin money. I don't know, but the cash is nuts. The cash is nuts. So money laundering, money laundering. Like I, I'm serious. Like uh, a Gretzky. No, honestly, rookie, I'm serious. A Gretzky rookie, you would have bought pre-COVID for. I, I remember being at the expo six, seven years ago, and a guy said, "Hey, Ken, you want this Gretzky rookie? I know you like cards, no matter what." I was like, "Oh, let me see." It was beat the crap. He goes. Give me 20 bucks. I said, fine. I gave him $20. I had a Gretzky rookie. I brought it to work. There's a girl named Margo. She's one of our producers at work. She's the biggest Gretzky fan. I said, Margo, you got a Gretzky rookie? She said, no. And she's a card collector. So I, when I came home that night, I got it. And I gave it to her the next day. It was cost me 20 bucks. Now, that card's worth $1,500 ungraded. And it's it's crazy. 1500 Yeah. So I'm going to invoice her for $1,500. And she'll get back to me. But... <laughs> Well, it's great. They, they, gone wild, 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 wild. And that really, well, that really makes me angry. Like, what that's would it makes me angry because yeah, because I remember collecting cards when I was a kid. I had like Rocket Richard, Gordy Howe, Bobby Orr rookie cards, like John Bellavol. I mean, you name it. I had all the rookie cards. I had four shoe boxes full, and my mother threw them out. The classic tale. But that's and, the classic story. And I, uh, and I'm like. How much would that would all those cards in those boxes be well, worth today? Like they might be worth. I mean, who knows? I mean, the, the rookie cards I had were in great condition. Yeah. Um, you know, they were. I don't know, man. It was. Uh, but what am I going to say, Mom? You shouldn't have thrown them out, but you did. So <laughs> it is what well, it Ken is. Can <laughs> they, Ken can attest to this, but the Gretzky rookie has become like the Mickey Mantle of hockey. Yeah. Only yeah. there are hundreds, yeah. and I there's mean no, hundreds, no for sale every day online, and that the prices keep going the up. Prices I mean, I, keep going up. It's like an overabundance of houses that people keep paying for, and conditions everything wrecked. There's card grading companies now; they slab it, which is putting it in a thick piece of plastic. I'm telling, you, like, so let's say, Rick, you got a, your rookie card PSA ten. I'm thinking, Mike, that's probably a PSA ten from eighty eighty one, and a Rick yeah. five rookie. I'm guessing thousand bucks. I'm guessing oh, the way yeah. it is right now. I would say that would be it. Yeah. Check your closets out, Rick. <laughs> Tell you, man, you may be sitting on some money if you hoarded your old stuff. Like it's crazy. Well, it's I got crazy. a few of those. I've had people give me cars over the years and so on, and I've well, got so a I've got a whole bunch of my rookie 
I got a bunch of my rookie cards. Yeah. So. Well, I well last week that I took one of your rookies to Kitchener. My buddy Craig Clark from Picto sent it up. Massive collector. He's like Mike and I. He's a collector. So he sent me a few rookie cards. He said, "You think you can get Rick to sign it?" I'm like, "Yeah, Rick will sign it for you, no problem." And it was in really good shape. And I thought, "Jeez," but no, it's just like we're <laughs> there's guys like Mike, myself, Craig who are yep. collectors. Then there's guys who are getting their magnifying glasses out, looking at every little corner because they're going to send it in. So, Rick, this, get this. So to get a card graded by PSA now, which is Pro Sports Authentication, it has to have – you have to estimate that it's worth at least 2500 U.S. And then to get it graded and turned around in a timely fashion, we're talking less than a few months, it's $195. And yeah. they, at the show, they couldn't do business fast enough. It's, it's a wild – it's like the Wild West again, eh, Mike, circa 1990? It's see, I, I get asked this all the time, and the advice I give to people, I'm going to ask you for your advice, which you tell people, Kenny, in a second. On that concept, I just say, click the artifact of the artifact because they mean something to you. It tells mm -hmm. a story or has a story with its own personal connection. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are guys out there that think just because they can afford to buy expensive items, it makes them a huge fan or a collector. Nothing could be further from the truth. Mm -hmm. Like, I try to tell people all the time for my collection, they ask me what I like the most. And I'll tell them sometimes my most cherished pieces have no real value, but right. a reminder of my youth, my mother coming That's home it. with the groceries, you yeah. know, clipping the checks picture off the cereal box, getting the coin out of the slata box. Like these things, they connect you with your family. And Thank that you. leads to the next step, which you touched on before. So to me, that means more to me than by having Max Bentley's 51 sweater, which I did have. Yeah, yeah. But like I always say, people ask me, what should I do? And I say, collect what you want. It shouldn't be a yes. what should I do? You should just, if it's like, I'll walk around these shows and I'm the only guy who asks about some items. I know I am. Oh man, what did I, like, I'm just trying to think of some of the stuff I picked up, like that little hockey helmet. I saw an Expos jacket, beat the crap. I wanted it. Uh, collect what you want, that hockey card I got of that gentleman. Uh, he, he wasn't from Nova Scotia, but he went and he coached uh st mary's juniors rick from like 45 to 65 he's in the nova scotia sports hall of fame watson was his name i believe i'm sorry it escapes me but i'm really just learning about uh, he calls he calls yeah st mary's I mean. thank yeah. you and i'm just learning about yeah. it through this card because this dealer from halifax said, mm -hmm. this guy was from nova scotia i said no he's from, from quebec right but he moved to halifax so that to me that's what i want to collect so i got i got hey another squid kevin morrison right from Kate Breton, mm -hmm. WHA guy. Yeah. For some reason, and Rick, I ask you about the WHA all the time. I love the WHA. I don't really know why, but I love it. So I collect WHA stuff. And um, John Leclerc's stick. I think John Leclerc's stick is one of the most unique things I've ever seen. So Johnny's a good guy. He's like, what do you collect? I'm like, oh, just, you know, weird stuff. I'm like, your stick would be awesome. He's like, I'll bring you a stick. So he bring, brought me out one of his old gamers. I'm like, like a Rick Vive stick is five pounds. That's unique. So I want to collect, <laughs> like, that reminds me of home. I collect Nova Scotia guys like crazy. Yeah. I collect maritime guys like crazy. It. But it's funny, Mike, you mentioned, like, people always ask me what my favorite card is. And my favorite card, I'll tell you guys the story, is Wayne Gretzky rookie card. And the reason it's my favorite card is as a child, that was like the unattainable. That was like the Lord of the Rings thing, right? And now I see them everywhere, like you said. But growing up in Nova Scotia, I didn't see the damn things. A card that was 10 years old when you're 12 might as well be 100 years old, right? That's a relic. So I always wanted this Gretzky rookie card. So I couldn't find it. No one ever had them for sale because they were hoarding them back then. And my mom came home with a box of cards, Rick. You'd know the town from Westville, Nova Scotia. It was an auction just outside mm -hmm. of Glasgow. A box of cards. She goes, I got these for $10. And so my brother and I said, okay, let's look through them. So we started looking through them. We go, oh, my God, they're the blue ones. So we knew Gretzky's rookie was the blue ones. So we're halfway through the pile. I'm like 13, my brother's 10. And there it is, this Wayne Gretzky rookie card. Beat the crap. Somebody even wrote on the front of it. And my brother and I are like, oh, oh my God. So we keep looking through. And <laughs> there was the only Gretzky in there. And then my brother and I look at it. I want, I want, I want, I want. And like two good kids, what did we do? We dropped the goddamn gloves and started beating the living Christ out of each other. And my mother, sweet Marie, who's here visiting, by the way, stop, stop, stop. Why don't you share it? And we're like, why don't you share it? We're like, stop. It, like, it was like the Hanson brothers, right? When the, when the fight, Ned Dow, Ned, Dow, uh, uh, Ned Dow is stripping down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Braden. And everyone stopped. There was one last sucker punch. 
And we're like, yeah, we'll share it. So to this day, my brother and I still have that card. It's over in my my card room. I have custody of it. It's not, <laughs> much. It's not in the greatest shape. Did you did you have to go to court to get custody? We didn't go to court. Or? We we agreed to meet, we agreed to have the custody right away. And it's a special story to me because it's the story of how I found my favorite player. Perfect. Story of me and my brother, and it's the story of my mother. And my mother supported my hockey card collecting more than anything. Her lonely little 15-year-old son who wouldn't go out on Friday nights up looking at Rick Five Upper Decks, Buffalo with his neck guard. That was me. That's why I got all this crap in my head. But my cards helped me through a bad time in my a lot of bad times in my life. They were my companions, they were my window to the world of hockey. And that's why my 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 Gretzky rookie just that's that's the story of it. And it's just, you know, people will say, What's it worth? I'm like, I don't know, I don't care. Now, like anything, there's always a correction in markets, uh, you know, coming from Baytree. I have to throw that in there. So we sense there's probably a correction coming at some point. What advice would you give young collectors coming into the game? Now, maybe I touch on this too, Kenny Malagaya. For our Leaf fans out there, the most expensive Maple Leaf card you've ever found, and maybe what some of the young guns like Matthews and Marner, what are their cards going for now? I can't believe I saw a Matthews PSA 10 young gun for $1,800. I'm like, Jesus, that is insane. I'm like, that's just wild. I saw that at the show. Uh, my favorite Leaf card, and this goes back to, again, why I collect, I wanted desperately, I think it was a new Leafs card on there. No, it was losing. No, I'm thinking wrong. Okay, when I'm, I was going to get into a Flash Holland story. It was the first ever Nova Scotia born NHL. And I got his card after a long hunt. Uh, I got an, a couple nice Eddie Shacks. I'd like to get an Eddie rookie from when he was with the Rangers. Again, that card, you could have had it ungraded, kind of crappy condition for 40 bucks. The guy wanted 280 for a beat up one at the show. I was like, no. So, Market correction, yeah, it'll have to come at some point. I just don't know when, yeah. um, but it will have to come, you would think. Uh, for young collectors, again, my advice, collect what you want. Don't be intimidated yeah. by price because there's kind of an affordable option for everyone. Uh, people always talk about the junk wax era circa 1990 when so many cards were produced. They're easy to collect. There's lots of oh, them. Yeah. It's affordable. There's still a little piece of history. And one of the great things about that era around 1990, Rick, you'd know, you know, guys like uh, guys like Lou Franceschetti breaks in in like 80 and goes up and down and waits 10 years to get a friggin' hockey card, right? <laughs> and when's my hockey card coming out? All of a sudden, 1990 comes out, there's pro set, Upper Deck Parkers, blah, blah, blah. Rick Lou's got like 50 rookie cards a year. So every year, Rick, you'd get your card, then you'd get the in-action one, you're two-in-one set, you're a team leader, you're getting three a year. So the 1990s comes, and there's 8 billion cards of everyone, and there's still great pieces of history. They're great looking pictures. I mean, I like the ones with the bad pictures, yeah. but I mean, so there's an option to collect for everyone. Yeah. And even today, like my kids open these upper deck packs. Everybody wants these young guns, but these ones, like the base cards, they go for next to nothing after the packs are open. So you collect those if you want, collect what you want. And you know, you, you'll always learn from little, little notes on the back. Well, you, you, touch, yeah. you touched on Eddie. Maybe carry through. You now. I want to get a little bit about your uh, books. Uh, you've got, yeah. I think, four books, correct? Two hockey card books: Eddie Shack and uh, Dennis Merck. And yeah, and then uh, uh, one I remember and one night only. So six. So, six. Six in total. Yeah. Okay. So okay. So talk about the Eddie book because Eddie's just left us, and I was a very, very, very small part of that with you, and was prepping yeah. some of the meetings. Do I still That's have that thing you gave me, Mike? That old picture, and I did I ever give it back to you? That magazine. I don't think I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. Greg, it's somewhere. <laughs> if you find it, let me know, Ken. My wife has uh, thrown it out like Rick's mom in the hockey card. I talk about working with Eddie and some of the stories behind the scene. Oh, it was awesome. I mean, Brian Aaronworth from Frameworth kind of introduced me, and I knew Eddie as a guy that tried to, you know, who was flirting with my mom in 1985 when the Montreal Old Pros played the Picto Old Puckers <laughs> at the Kinsman Hall. Mom made the chowder. Eddie liked the chowder. And, uh, you know, I, I knew Eddie like everybody else. So Brian's like, you want to write a book with Eddie? I'm like, well, this could be fun. So the, the plan, Mike, you were there for a lot of it was, yeah. you know, like a 60,000 word book. And then, you know, Eddie was kind of on wash, rinse, repeat. It was trying to tough to get some new stories out of him. And uh, pictures meant so much to Eddie, obviously. He didn't read well, if at all. So he wanted the pictures in the book. So we thought, well, okay. 
Kramer coffee table book from Seinfeld, right? So <laughs> we, we went with that. You and Paul helped out so much with the research, Mike. Thank you. Some awesome artifacts that we took pictures of in the book. And Rick, I think the beauty of working with Eddie, and you guys would know this, was he was not made for 2020. He was not made for 2000. Oh. He, was, he was not made for 1980. I don't know if he was made for 1960. <laughs> like, this guy was politically incorrect. Like, he, he had no concept of it, and he didn't care. And I love that, because all I want in a person is honesty. And he was, he, tell you what he thought. And I think that's why people loved him. He was a throwback, and it was awesome. Just to, to sit in his garage and him trying to convince me to drink red wine all day. And I'm like, I, I got to work at night, Eddie. We, I'm writing, but I got to work at night. Come on, have one. And I'm like, I can't, I can't man. So... That was, it was like, it was Eddie's final hurrah, right? Because he was diagnosed with cancer that January, right after the book came out. So it was kind of like, I don't know if it was Eddie's final hurrah or his final screw you to everybody or hey, and then his final lap, his final twirl, I guess is what it would be. But I learned so much and I got to talk to some outstanding players who, who gave their reflections on Eddie. I mean, when you're driving down the road and Wayne Gretzky calls you to talk about Eddie Shack, it's pretty cool. And Bobby Hall and Jack Valacat and, I mean, I was just, I laughed. I, we got about 16 hours of audio and I, you can hear me laughing through most of it. And I did, he didn't give a crap. I loved it. <laughs> well, I, I was going to tell one story during the, the Eddie period. So I was at one of the meetings and Eddie showed up late and he came in and I'm sure you remember this, Ken. And he said, Eddie, what, they go, where were you? Oh, I had to stop and see. I forget some car dealership. Yeah, his, dealer. his car guy or whatever the hell it was. His tire yeah. Guy. And he's always on the hustle. Oh. So he said, well, what were you stopping to see him for? I went off from uh, uh, a page in the book to advertise for 20 grand. <laughs> yeah. And they went, what? 20 grand. What? And they no, said, you like can't do that Eddie, in the book. And they no. said, oh, I just asked. Well, then a couple of meetings later, it all of a sudden circled around. It was Tim. They were talking. Tim Hortons came up as a sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. And Brian said, wait a minute. Eddie already talked about that. Let, let's pursue it. But anyway, he was always ahead of the curve thinking about yeah. the dollar, even to his dying days. Oh yeah. And and what he did want in the book, he just said, I don't remember. I don't remember with that. Eddie, what about the time you were on the high speed chase in your dune buggy through Toronto? Don't remember. And and so Colby Armstrong's watching all these interviews we're doing. El Colby's like, I want to go. I got to meet this guy. Like I'm going to lunch with this guy. So I call up Brian Aramworth. He's like, sure, let's go to, is it Panzer's Deli? Uh, yeah, the one down by there where he is. Where Eddie is. And Colby's like, this is awesome. So we go to the deli and we're waiting. And Eddie and Brian walk in. And the whole place goes nuts for Eddie. So he, I'm sitting there with Colby, who you know played for the Leafs, I'd say, four or five years ago. Eddie sits down. I'm like, Eddie, this is Colby. Colby played for the Leafs and Pens. Ah, how's it going? So, you know what you guys got to do? And he starts going for like 45 minutes. Colby leans over. He goes, I think he thinks I still play for the Leafs. <laughs> it was awesome. <laughs> Well, Scott, what do you, you've had some dealings with him, obviously, over the years. Uh, I met Shetty, Eddie a few times. In fact, um, uh, you were spot on when you when you talked about he probably wasn't even ready for the 70s because he got kicked out of our uh, – suspended from our alumni box three yep. times that I can remember. And uh, for saying some – I won't even say what he said to oh. people in the box. And uh, three times he, he was banned from the box. and uh, But he always made it back in there at some point and uh, got to see him a few times in the box. And But he's not a guy that you could really have a conversation with because he'd go off on some tangent all of a sudden and just like, yep. and be like, what the hell is he talking about? Like, <laughs> And then you just walk away because – what you were talking about has nothing to do with what he's saying now. So, well, Squid, I don't know if you remember you wore the cowboy hat all the time. Oh, and he'd get the guys, everybody to sign it, and everybody then he would sell the them. Box, and then he would sell them for three grand. And the next time he'd go to a game, he'd have another. He'd have another yeah. cowboy hat. Yeah. And then he'd come in. He'd get everybody. And someone finally said to him, "Like Eddie, no, I'm not signing it. I can't remember who it was in the box because you're going to make money off of it." He goes, yeah. So <laughs> they almost they almost came to blows, and I can't remember who it was, but the guy wouldn't sign it, wow. and uh, I didn't care. I just signed every time he asked me. I signed it, and I didn't give a damn if he was going to make a few bucks off it. Yeah, he always he Probably loved when he'd see, he loved when he'd see Bobby Orr. 
Every time I see Bobby, it's in the book. Oh. Say, and Bobby said, you're going to sell it, aren't you, Eddie? He goes, what do you think, Bobby? I was born yesterday? Of course I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, uh, I, I was going to say, now, Kenny, a couple, a couple of things here. First off, pronouncing names. Have you yeah. had any sort of that, oh, like the names of these players? Like yeah. I butcher on every show, so I, I'm going to using numbers now. Yep. I uh, <laughs> I had one last night I couldn't spit out. Uh, buddy for Winnipeg, Dominic. Toninato, Toninito, Toninato. So what I do is I just make him, I make a music lyric out on a cold and gray Chicago morning. Another little baby child was born. Dominique Toninato, Toninato. So that's how I remember the name. Bam at a bio, bam at a bio for the heat, right? So now I just do it on the air. But yeah, um, it's funny and people get so mad if you mispronounce a name, right? And I'm like, I, I get it. I'm trying my best. But on any given night, there's how many athletes? Mm -hmm. So the hockey, I take pride in. So I'm no kidding. Got to get this Toninato guy down. So the hockey, I take great pride in. The baseball, I take great pride in. But if you're doing soccer, man, I'm like, there's how many pro soccer players in the world? I'm like, I'm gonna mess up. So again, but but that comes with maturity, right? <laughs> when I was a kid, if I made a mistake, I was so hard on myself, and now I realize, you know what? Ah. Just do your best. Mistakes happen. So but Eddie Jack, I like That's the name funny. Eddie Jack. Couldn't mispronounce that. <laughs> no, it's funny you mentioned that name because I I just saw the other day, actually, uh, a kid uh, I coached in Oakville in midget AAA, minor midget AAA, Kyle Capabianco, oh, defenseman for Arizona. Yeah, no kidding. I, I had to call him to go on the ice all the time. <laughs> I just went, Kyle, Kyle. <laughs> uh, how do you say it, Rick? So when I know he how scored, to say it, Kappa Bianco, and he scored his first goal the other night for uh, Arizona. It was uh, he was a defenseman, uh, great little player when he played for me. And uh, boy, it was so. It's, you know, when you see those things, and you know, I coach Sagan and Skinner and guys like that in minor hockey, and it's kind of like it's such a joy to go to watch them go out on the ice and do what they do. It's like uh, it's like wow, like that must be he so could fulfilling. be my son. Was there one guy yeah, that like they could be? They could be my kids are young yeah. enough. Was there one guy that you coached that you didn't think would make it, and he made it, and you're going, "That is just such a terrific story." Like I love that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, the one guy that I I, I wasn't sure, but I had a feeling that because he was really gangly and tall at the time. Um, oh God! And of course, I, I'm going to forget his name right at the wrong moment. There we go, Kenny. Right his there. sister. His Alexiak. sister was a, the swimmer, Alexia. Yeah. Oh, Alexia. So I had him in minor midget. I had him in minor midget, and I asked my assistant coach. I said, you know, once you start working a little bit with him on defense, like get him moving, get you know, because he was a big gangly kid at that age, at 15 years old. I thought he had a chance because he, he his mind was good. He knew when to jump into the play, when to stay back. Uh, was you know was pretty good at reading the game. So anyway, the coach said, "No, he'll never play in the NHL." Like, what, what, let's not bother with him. And I said, "Well, no, I, I think he's got some potential." So I worked with him and worked with him and worked with him and different drills, just to you know have him turn and go the other uh, turn in the opposite direction, so he'd learn how to do it both ways and that sort of thing. And I never expected him to get to the NHL. I really didn't. I thought he was going to be a good player at some point, maybe an American League player. But boy, oh boy, he is—he's uh, gone well above what I thought he was going to do. He sure has. And, and it's nice to see. It's really, really nice to see. Hey, we're getting down to the last couple of minutes here, and I got to—we have lots still to talk to you about, Kenny. We want to thank you again for joining us. But uh, now, this may be unfair because I know you're very passionate about sports. But walking in the work, I mean, we know you get there fairly early. But that one story that broke or the most the most your probably your favorite story that broke on the job there's probably a couple of them but that one that just hit you and went wow well the one i remember is when i first started at sportsnet and the blue jays pulled off the r.a dickey trade so they tell me in my ear r.a dickey trade r.a yeah. dickey trade i said what are the details they said it's in the prompter it's in the prompter i go what are the details in the prompter in the prompter they go camera one turn to camera one camera one's up it doesn't have a goddamn prompter on it so I got to read from this. <laughs> that was a bit of a pisser. Yeah, I'd say After so. That show, I'm like, I told you, write it down. So I wasn't happy that I can be high maintenance, right? Um, yeah. Oh man, sometimes you're on the desk and 
you never know what's going to happen, right? Something crappy happens on the ice or something great happens on the ice. Uh, I remember the night Alex Hemsky got traded. It was, it was just, it was me and Marty McSorley at work and it was kind of the perfect storm. I had just come from Edmonton. Marty has an Oilers background. So we had to do half an hour. That was no problem. So, you know, all that, all that stuff, all that experience you get, you never know when it's going to pay off. But my favorite nights working are the night when, the nights when stuff goes down because those are the nights you paid for. Typically that's 10 nights a year, right? The other, however many mm-hmm. nights, it's, it's kind of routine, right? It's kind of, yep. the, you know, here are the highlights, here's yeah. the scores. The nights when stuff goes down, um, it's it's pretty wild. But, yeah, there, there's a lot of nights like that, and, and those are the fun ones. I mean, even our shows on a regular basis, you know, you're, you're coming out of a game, maybe a guy wins in overtime, maybe something crazy happens, maybe Jose Bautista hits that home run against Texas, and, you roll with it. I mean, I, I, I you know, you got to be prepared, right? So I'll tell you guys a good story. We had this one guy who was anchoring with us, and we talked about getting experience and going from town to town. Well, this guy's first gig was in Toronto at Sportsnet. He was an anchor man, and when I say anchor man, in the Ron Burgundy sense. So <laughs> we're on one night, and the was the Blue Jays are playing the Red Sox. If the Red Sox win, they clinch the AL East. So I do my prep work beforehand and I got my cheat sheet out as we call it. I'm writing some factoids down. You know, the last time the Red Sox won the AL East was I don't know, yeah. 10, I write that or you know, this is the first time they've won it since at home since blah blah yeah. blah. And last year they were this and then so the Red Sox win and the producer goes, Okay, uh, ad lib throw ad lib to a break. And so this guy ad libs oh, and that's gone as a commercial and producer goes in my ear, okay, you're going to handle the ad-libs from now on again. And so we come back and I ad-lib something, I throw to it. It comes back and I ad-lib and throw to the next break. Comes back, ad-lib, throw to this. Okay, now we're going to go David Ortiz. He was three for five tonight in the game. Uh, you know, join the team from Kansas City, blah, blah, blah. Ad-lib, throw to break. Hey, this is the first Red Sox first uh, time they clinched at home since blah, blah, blah. And the guy goes, how do you know all this stuff? I go, a cheat sheet. He goes, what's a cheat sheet? Okay. I go, I go, it's my own research he goes you do that by yourself i'm like whatever bud so he didn't laugh well no kidding i i can see that well speaking that's a perfect segue for us because doing our in-depth research on you yeah i came across the name mr jankoff now they are butchering her name i probably your old gym teacher yep apparently may have some stories you'd like to share with us on him absolute beauty his daughter by the way rick alana lives in prince edward island now he lives over in PEI. Mr. Yankoff was the world's most classic gym teacher. He's the gym teacher I bet all three of us had. Yeah. Old, strong, no sympathy. Boys, today I'm going to teach you Greco-Roman wrestling. And the guy he didn't like was Mark Harone. Harone, get over here. Get out on the mat. Boom, puts Harone in a chokehold. Throws him over. So throwing Harone around. He's like, boy, today we're going to do the ring. And he'd demonstrate the rings. He'd be up there flexing. We'd be all laughing. Another time, uh, and whenever he'd kick you out, out of here, boy. So he'd kick you out. So every once in a while, he'd let you play floor hockey. And every time we'd play floor hockey, the fight would break out. And typically, he'd do floor hockey after he had to, you know, take care of clerical issues. So one night, uh, we're playing floor hockey because Yankoff has to clean the gym because there was a dance in the gym. So there's sparklers hanging down. Yankoff's on the ladder. All of a sudden, no, it was calisthenics that day. My good buddy, Scott Landry, who's now a professor of kinesiology at Acadia University, uh, gets in a fight with the bully. He's like, I'm not going to take any more. I'm not. Boom. And it was slow-mo. I still remember his fist coming across and connecting with the bully. And this big piece of spit goes flying out of the bully's, bully's mouth. And all the kids are cheering. All the kids are cheering. And we look up and Yankov's just on the ladder like this. If you, He was a good linesman. If you were going to go, he'd let you go. The boys fight for about a minute and a half. He goes, that's enough, boys. And he says to the bully, I'll just use the term bully. Bully, out of here. Landry, back in line. And so, so he was fine with Scott. And, yeah, if you – he loved – I remember one time David Clark, we were doing wrestling. And uh, David Clark wanted to fight his cousin Craig, cousin Craig Clark. He's like, you guys want to – and they're like, we'll wrestle each other. And like, all right. And they just beat the crap out of each other, but pulling jerseys over the head and all that. And the Yankov finally goes, that's enough. He goes, Jesus, boys, I thought this was going to be Greco-Roman wrestling. So it's just classic. <laughs> and he didn't like the Clarks. So the Clarks had a long history of, so the thing with Yankov was he taught your parents, he taught your cousins, and then eventually he gets you. So he taught lots of Clarks over the years and he gets, 
He gets a roll call. First, first roll call, grade six. <laughs> he goes. Well, it's a great hey. final comment for Kenny. Oh, wait, wait. I got one. Oh, oh quick one, one. yeah. One one. One. David Clark. Yeah, Craig, wait a minute. Go to this one. Oh, David Clark. Craig Clark. He goes, imagine having a name like Clark. And Craig goes, better than a name like Yankoff. Out of here, boy! <laughs> 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 Oh boy! Good final thought. Well, I, you know what, I, I, Ken, it was great to have you on, and and you know what, I think you got you underestimate the job you guys do on television because it's not easy going over all the highlights and ad living and throwing things in there, and I, I think you guys you do a wonderful job, and yep. uh, you know what, you've got to keep people watching uh, for half an hour or whatever it is, forty minutes or an hour or whatever the heck it is. And I got to tell you, you do a hell of a job of keeping people watching that TV by the way you tell the stories and everything during the thing. So do a great job, and I, I appreciate it. Thanks, Rick. Well, you know what? If it wasn't for guys like you, Rick, who played the game, and for guys like you, Mike, who are, collect the game and are passionate about the game, I'd have nothing to talk about. So, you know, we're, we're, all, we all, we're all here because we love sports, and it's a beautiful way to make a living. Very blessed. Well, keep up the good There's work. There's only two. And there's only two out of the three of us that are maritime, so we got to remember right. that. And only one that's a three-time 50 gold game. That's exactly right. Okay, boys. Well, anyway, Kenny, thanks again for joining us. It was great. My pleasure. See you Thank soon. You All right, okay. guys. Indeed. <laughs>